We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Okay, I'll just recap it anyway, so we haven't lost much, right? Okay, so why is the kingdom cultured honor code important? Because we said it is a communicable attribute of God. That was exciting, right? Communicable attribute of God, attributes of God that we are permitted and therefore equipped by the finished work of Christ to share. God has two dimensions of his attributes, the communicable attributes of God and the non-communicable attributes of God. The non-communicable attributes of God are dimensions of God that we cannot share. That's what guarantees God his exclusivity as father. So I said, I'm not sure if it's on Tuesday, I said, me and Christ are mates. And I don't, I don't call it a robbery to be equal with Christ. Or me and God are not mates. <laughs> Myself and my brother, he's my elder brother, we are equal inheritance before the father. So if, if God the father has one million shares or three million shares or two million shares, Christ has one million, Pav has one million. That's what it means to be joint heirs with the son. Do you understand? Joint heirs means that everything Christ has, I have. Everything Christ is, I am. Everything Christ does, I do. Everywhere Christ is sat, I am sat. So the four dimensions of our joint heirship with Christ. Does that make sense? But Christ himself is at the right hand of the Father. And yet Christ and the Father are the same. And there's one God. I love it. Do you get it? So I have joined heirship with Christ. So, so Paul puts it this way. He says we are heirs of the Father, joint heirs with the Son. So my father is never my mate at any point. At any point. No matter how cool we are. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the father is still the father. In that dimension, in that expression, he's still the father. He's still the father. He's still the father. So there are non-communicable attributes of God, and we mentioned some of them, like non-communicable, like all the omni-series, yeah? It's omnipotence, which means his all-powerful nature, his omnipresence, everywhere at every time, immediately in his presence. Not God is everywhere at the same time. Okay, there's a difference. God is not everywhere at the same time. Everywhere at all times are immediately in his presence. So God doesn't need to look to the north to be at the north. He doesn't need to travel to the south to be at the south. He's not, all things consist in him. He's not in all things, he's only in me. <laughs> but all things hold in him. So his omnipresence couldn't be said to mean that God is everywhere at every time. It means that everything at all times are immediately in his presence. Do we understand that? Yeah. 
So that's the omnipresence of God. And then there's the omniscience or omniscience of God. That, and God is all-knowing. All-knowing. That's why Jesus could tell them, even I do not know the day and the hour, except my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is coming back, but he doesn't know when. But he knows when. As God the Father, he knows when. As God the Son, he's waiting to hear from God the Father. (laughs) The truth of thing rocks, man. Really rocks. Because in Isaiah 9-6, I preached this one I taught on if. For unto us, and we looked at that today, unto us, a child is born. We looked at that different word. Unto us, a son is given. A child is not given, a son is not born. A child is born, a son is given from the child that is born. And his, <laughs> and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Son is born. And the son is called Everlasting Father. Has anybody ever, you have been reading Isaiah 9 6 since you were in nursery school? Have you ever thought about it? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Everlasting Father. Nobody can dispute that Isaiah 9 6 was referring to Jesus. Do you understand? Even the Babala will can testify. <laughs> Do you understand? It is referring to Jesus. But clearly, explicitly, his fatherhood is implied. His name shall be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Who was he referring to? Jesus. So Philip comes and says to Jesus, Okay, you know, we have been hanging around you for a while. You keep talking about the Father. Show us the Father and it shall be fine with us. And Jesus says, what's wrong with you? Have I been with you so long and you do not know me? Me as who? A father. For he who has seen me has seen the father. I and my father are one. Yet he was being baptized on earth in the flesh. He was coming on himself in bodily form as a dove. He was speaking to himself. From heaven in a loud voice. Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. At the same time. So Jesus doesn't know when he's coming, but God knows. And if God knows, Jesus knows. <laughs> Because he and the Father. And what? If you ask Jesus, he won't tell you. Unfortunately, in this case, even if you ask the Father, he won't tell you. But the Father knows. Non-communicable attributes. There's only one sovereign God. There are many sons that have been brought into glory. Hebrews 2.10. Do you understand? We have been brought into glory with Christ who was glorified with the glory he had with the Father from before the world began. But God is the king of glory. We are kings in glory. He is the king of glory.
So Christ, God is the king of glory. We are kings in glory. That's why he's called, when God is called king of kings, he wasn't referring to the kings of this world. He was referring to me and you. If you didn't know that before, know that now. Because he's referring to king of kings of a kingdom that has come, Basilea. And of that kingdom, it's made up of kings and priests. For you have made us a kingdom of kings and priests unto our God. Who are kings and priests? You and I. Forget queens. You are a king, sister. Forget queens. We're a king. And he is therefore called the king of you and I. Do you understand? We are a royal priesthood. First Peter 2, 9. A nation of kings and priests of which God is the king of kings. Not God is the king of the king of Saudi Arabia and the king of Monaco and the king of Swaziland. Which other countries still have kings? The sultan of Brunei and that's it. Finland, yeah, Finland still has a monarchy, I think. Those are not the kings that that scripture is referring to. Earthly kings. It's referring to kings in the Basilea. It's king of kings. So he's king of glory. We are kings in glory. Basking in his glory. But then he has non-communicable, um, he has communicable attributes. What are some of them we mentioned? Some of his communicable attributes that we share. His humility. His love. His glory to an extent. We just talked about that. His honor. What else? His forgiveness. His love. His righteousness. His holiness. Yes? Just like the communicable attributes of God that we can share. Alright? So, um, honor or the honor code is a communicable attribute of God. Two, it also establishes and showcases worth and value. We talked about that. First Samuel 24, 24, Acts 21, 13. It sets a precedence for others to understand your value system. We talked about the Roman centurion, right? Matthew 8, 8 to 10. It attracts after its kind. That's Samuel 2, 30, John 12, 26, James 4, 67. And it encapsulates our recognition and expression of Christ's finished work. The honor code encapsulates our recognition and expression of Christ's finished work. And then we ended on Tuesday, I was going to say last week, we ended on Tuesday by saying that Christ is our ultimate example. Right? So we're called to emulate him in all things. I also mentioned in passing that the honor code basically works God to man, man to God, and man to man. Okay? So Christ is our, our example. He is our honor code demystified. Remember that? So we're up to date, aren't we? Okay. How is Christ our example in the honor code? He honored the Father. Christ honored the Father. John eight forty nine. Somebody read very quickly. John 8, 49. Christ is our ultimate example. He's the honor code demystified. He honored the Father. Christ honored the Father. John 8, 49. I will find it while you write. And I will read. Is there nobody that is not writing? No. 
Everybody's writing. John 8, 49. It's a very interesting story, you know. Let me go back to... The text is 49, but from 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. This is Jesus speaking. But you seem to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Whose father was he referring to? The devil. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, you will do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I have heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. (laughs) Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. That's powerful. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, 44. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. So he's their example. Because he was a murderer, they were trying to murder Jesus in keeping with their fatherly nature from the devil. Okay? And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered them in 49. I do not have a demon, but I and you. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. I don't have a demon. All I'm doing is honoring my father. And you are dishonoring me. So all Jesus did, he did to bring glory. We know that. But also he did to bring honor to his father. Jesus honored the father. Jesus was righteousness to consign that we became his righteousness. Jesus was rich, took on our poverty, that us through his poverty might be rich. Jesus was whole, took on our iniquities, for the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. Took on our stripes that we might be healed. Jesus honored the Father as our example that we might also come and honor the Father. If Jesus as an only son honored the father and now he has brought many sons into glory it behoves those many sons to also honor the father we cannot be of a different substance to Jesus am I making sense he's our perfect example we cannot operate in dishonor if our elder brother from whom we derive our DNA operated exclusively in honor do you understand the power of the honor code now so Jesus honored the father It gets interesting. The father, in turn, honored him. John 8, same John 8, 54. John 8, 54. Yeah, read. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. Yeah. It is my father that honored me. Ooh. Ooh. Isn't that really nice? 
If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me. Who honored Christ? God, the father. And Christ honored the father. Have we seen the honor code play out? Christ honors the father, does what he does to honor the father. The father honors Christ in return. And Christ then advocates honor for himself and the father. John 5, 22 and 23. If you're following this teaching carefully, it will literally change your life. Literally. You will never struggle with honor or dishonor in your life again, ever. John 5, 22 to 23. For the father judged no one. He's committed all judgments to the son. That all men should do what? All men should do what? Go on, next just as they honor the Father. He that does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Put your old King James away. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Honor, honor me, you, talking to his disciples. Honor me and honor the Father. If you don't honor me, you are not honoring the Father. Read it again in that New King James. Um, um, so hold, hold on. Do you bring your Bible, Caleb? Yes. Yeah, so after, after, after that, then you read it again. For the Father judges no one. Committed all judgments to the Son. That all should honor the Son. Just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you're honoring God, you honor Jesus. So this instantly tells us that people that advocate that we cannot worship Jesus are out of order. Okay. They believe Jesus is the son of God. They do not believe he's of the same substance as God. That's the bane of contention. They believe that he's the firstborn of God's creation. So God created Jesus at the beginning or before the beginning. So they understand that Jesus died. They understand that he's the son of God, but they refuse to acknowledge him as God. Romans 1 has very strong words for such people. Although they knew him as God, they refused to acknowledge him as God. So God gave them over to vile passions. That is a doctrinal fault. I can't call you my brother when we have a doctrinal disparity. <laughs> Do you understand? No, no, no. That's an unequal yoke. An unequal yoke. So we cannot worship Jesus. Why? Because in honoring Jesus, we honor the Father. In honoring the Father, we honor Jesus. He's called the word of God. He deserves our worship because he's of the same substance. I hope you can come on, come on, come on. As God. Let's read your, your before we go back here, let's read your translation of John 5, 22 and 23. <laughs> 
But if you refuse to honor God's son, he will send to you, then you are certainly not honoring the Father. Just read it again loudly. And the Father leaves all judgment of sin to the Son. Mm-hmm. So that everyone will honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. But if you refuse to honor God's son, he will send to you, then you are certainly not honoring yeah, Matthew two eleven. Somebody else, Matthew twenty eight nine. Somebody else, Luke twenty four fifty two. In fact, even twenty eight nine. We can look at twenty eight seventeen. Luke twenty four fifty two. John nine. 38, John 20, 28. Matthew 2, 11. Matthew 2, 11, yeah. House, Talking about Jesus' birth, yeah, when they come into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother. And fell down and did what? Worshipped who? Jesus. As a child. Matthew 28, anyone? Yeah? Read out loud, David. Mm-hmm. And worshipped him. 17, same, same chapter, verse 17. Doubted. And you never see all the other translate, the other, the other texts, Luke 24, 52, Luke 9, 38, Luke 20, 28, and a lot more. You never see where Jesus was being worshipped and he refrained them from worshipping. He said, don't call me rabbi. Even at the point, he said, don't even call me good. Because God is good. But he never refrained them from worshipping. The woman, the Seraphim woman with her son, her daughter, who was throwing the fire, came crying and he answered her not a word. And she came and fell down before him and worshipped, saying... Have mercy. He was, he was 100% man, 100% God. So he says, honor me in honoring the Father. If you have not honored me, you have not honored the Father. Equal in substance, equal in value. Does that make sense? So Christ honored the Father. The Father honored him. Let's actually even see Second Peter 1.17. Second Peter one seventeen. Second Peter one seventeen. For he received from God the Father honor and who received Christ. So God he honored the Father. The Father honored him, and he advocates that we honor both him and the Father. The honor code continues. He honored his disciples in his life, in his service. In his giving, in his death. We see the story in John 13 of the feet washing, right? Jesus, in teaching them how to serve and honor one another, washes their feet. Very interesting story, right? Peter says, God forbid. You can't touch me, you rabbi, wash my feet. How now? Yeah? You, Pav is trying to collect your water. Like, no, Pav, you can't do it. 
You don't know I'm trying to keep myself alive. And remind myself of the honor code. The honor code is a code of service. Does it make sense now? Yeah. Now you two, you now feel like, okay, so Pab, you want to serve? Yes. Pab, please take my, take my plate to the kitchen. Maybe you want to honor code. So it works both ways. Does that make sense? Because Jesus washes their feet and he says, as I have washed your feet, so also ought ye to wash one another's feet. Whether you interpret it literal, whether you interpret it metaphorical, in in the light of the fact that, well, in the cultural context of our day and age, we don't have dust, we don't have mud. Have you seen some people's legs that are smelling? At the end of the day. Compa- the, the Jews only had dust. We have dust plus fungi, plus nematodes, plus perspiration, plus sulfur. Plus the fact that the shoe has not seen sunlight in, in three years. Because if you put it outside, by the time you wake up in that calabasal, <laughs> they, they would have harvested your shoes. <laughs> So, as you're entering the house, you enter with the shoe already. You cohabit with the fragrance. You have become, your fellowship with this one. So you can, you can say, who said it's not fair? Am I talking about you? Should we go under your bed and see what happens there? Yeah. But so, so people, because the, the theological argument, and this is a digression, is that it does not literally apply in our day and age. Because the, it's not, it's not, it was a culturally sensitive thing, you know, practice. And that's, not, that's been done away with now. We are not, we're not under that, you know. But then you could also argue the same for the communion. You could argue the same and say, well, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And I know now a New Testament grace preacher on Facebook who is blasting churches that are still partaking of the Lord's Supper. And their argument is that it, it is also a shadow of what was to come. You see, that's the danger of, that's the danger of extremism. But I was sharing with Debbie this afternoon, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul, you see what we don't understand? Man, this is what things deeper. Paul writes 13, okay, 15 letters. 13 that we have. Laudition episode, we don't have. The real first Corinthians, we don't have. So let's work with 13, because everything God intended for us to know, he made sure it was revealed. So we don't miss the other two. Alright, so 13. Paul writes 13 letters. I was explaining to her today that what we don't understand as Christians is that New Testament doctrine is as established in those 13 letters. I've just digressed, but again, it's a digression from a digression from a digression. New Testament doctrine is as established in Paul's letters. Full stop. Romans right through to Philemon. If I counted correctly. Establishes doctrine for New Testament church. Now why do I say this? When Paul wrote, there was no Matthew, there was no Mark, 
There was no Luke. There was no John. There was no James. There was no first and second Peter. If there was, Paul didn't know and Paul didn't care. Paul says, I received directly from the Lord. So when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 and addressing its malpractice in the church, he says, I received directly from the Lord. It means Paul was transported to see for himself what transpired on the night before Christ was betrayed. It wasn't that Paul was writing because Peter had written or Luke had written so he could see from their epistles what happened. If you understand the power of that revelation, you will not mess with doctrine. Are you following? He wasn't, he received, he says, and he made it clear, I received how? Directly from the Lord. Not from a letter. So when Peter was writing, Peter was writing in conflict because he didn't realize that the, the law of grace had been laid out. We've talked about this in the former house before. So I was telling her today that what we need to understand as New Testament believers is when, personally, when I read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, James, I read them as I would read Old Testament in light of Paul's letters. Not on their own. I read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, James. I read even Revelation. I read them in light of Christ as revealed in Paul's letters. Because they did not have reference to the gospel of grace when they wrote. And who laid the gospel of grace? Paul. Nobody else. How are we saved? By grace through faith. Who is the apostle of grace to the Gentiles? Paul. So just as we will not discard the Old Testament letters, we will read them in the light of Christ. I mean, in KPM, we spoke about Christ and we started by reading Numbers 23. <laughs> Christ. In the Old Testament. Previously concealed, now explicitly revealed. So we read that in the light of the epistles. So everything Paul lays down is as good as doctrine. Because he received it from the Lord. That's why in 2 Corinthians 12, God had to humble him small. Calm Calm down. <laughs> Calm down, calm down. Are we following? So Paul talks about the the Lord's Supper as an ongoing practice. Not as a figurative. I explained to you on the Friday that we had the Lord's Supper here that we're doing it not in expectation but in celebration of what is already done. Now if you brought that argument to, to John 13 where Jesus says, as I've washed your feet so also ought you to wash one another's feet. And you say, well, what Jesus meant was that you should honor one another. Yes, that's true. What Jesus meant was that you should serve one another. That is true. What Jesus meant was that you should esteem others above yourself. That's also true. What Jesus meant was that you should wash the leg of your brother. That is also true. Because if it was not literal as it was symbolic, he would not have used the phrase, wash ye one another's feet. And scripture cannot mean today what it did not mean when it was written. <laughs> As a law of biblical interpretation, 
you know this my word. Scripture cannot mean today. All of a sudden. What it did not mean when it was written. It's not possible. Scripture must mean now what it meant then. Of course, cultural contexts differ like the hair in St. First Corinthians 11, the hair covering business, but you look into the cultural context of it. And that's why not everything Paul wrote to the Corinthian church was applicable to other churches and vice versa. When he was telling them, women should not speak, who did he tell that? Timothy. At the time he wrote to Timothy, Timothy was the pastor of the Corinthian church who was a chaotic church at that time, having so much gifts of the spirit, but no respect for order. So let women not talk, please. Let them calm down. In the Corinthian church, not in the Catholic church. Sorry. The word Catholic is Latin, Latin for universal. Do you understand? So let, I, I forbid the women from speaking in this Corinthian church that we're trying to establish order, not in every church in the world till Jesus comes. Because that would have conflicted with Paul's own message of saying in Christ, he has broken the middle wall. There is no male. There's no female. There's no Jew. There's no Greek. You are all one in Christ. Are you following me? Does it make sense? But I've conflicted with his ideology and his doctrine. So we follow scripture contextually. So he honors his disciples. He washes their feet. And he tells them, as I've washed your feet, so wash another's feet. Humble yourself. Minister to your brother. Honor your brother. He honored his disciples in service, in life, in giving, in death. And guess what? His disciples then honored him in life, in service, in giving, and in death. Because love is a, honor is a reciprocal system. I repeat. <laughs> he honored his disciples in life, in service, in giving, and in death. His disciples also honored him in life. Romans 8. He honored his disciples. He honored us by extension, right? Right? In life, in service, in giving, and in death. And so his disciples and us as well by extension honor him in life, in service, in giving, and in death. Hebrews, um, sorry, Romans 8. Um, whew, 35. 35. Are we there? Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 36. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted for as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So much talks about how we, we, if we, we shall also partake in his glory if we share in his suffering. So part of the honor code is being able to take the heat for Christ because he took the heat for us. Do we understand? And the honor code doesn't get any better than that. In life, in giving, in service, and in, even in the face of death. That's why the writer will say, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's not like God just delights in Christians dying. 
That's not what he means. Because that will make him no different from a bloodthirsty demon. Talk to me. But when a saint gives up their life to him, for him, it is such a thing of joy and honor. It doesn't matter how we die. We live, we live to the Lord. We die, we die to the Lord. The body doesn't matter anyway. Whether we have a part of it to bury or not. Does that make sense? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make sense. So he honored them and they honored him. Let's go on. Are we, are we making progress with this? Three expressions of the honor code for the kingdom culture people. Honoring God. First expression. Honoring God. So as a kingdom cultured people that know the honor code, as an expression of the finished work of Christ, we honor God. Proverbs 3, 9. Romans 12, 1. We honor God. Proverbs 3, 9. If you find it, read. Romans 12, 1, yeah? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm hmm. Which is reasonable service. That's an act of honor, isn't it? Romans 12, 1. With our bodies. Proverbs 3 9, anyone? Honor the Lord with your possessions. I we do fast fruit of your increase. Yes, sir. Nelson. Have a fast fruit problem. <laughs> but it's easy. Just look at it in light of the cross. Everything Old Testament is looked at now in the light of the cross. If he passes the filter of the cross, we continue. If he doesn't pass the filter of the cross, it is abolished. What was first fruit in the law? It was a ceremonial giving of the first of everything. Same as tithe. Does that make sense? Is it fulfilled in Christ? Yes. If you feel like you want to give your first salary, is anything stopping you? No. Is it an ordinance that must be done? No. Therefore, it is fraud to insist on it. Make sense? There are people in this house that still pay tithe. Because it's just easy for them to remove a tenth of their income and put away. Some people here pay 30% of their income. Of course, as always, there's people that don't even know what giving is. So if you, want, if you feel like your first whatever you want to give, fine. Is it an institution? No. What gave it strength? The law. Christ is the end of the law. So really there's no confusion about what to continue, what to not continue. The next time you encounter something you have a problem with, run it through the cross test. It's very simple. What does it fall under the moral law? The civil law? The ceremonial law? Any way you look at it, Christ is the end of the law. Or else you would have said Christ is the end of the moral law, but the ceremonial law is still remaining. Think about it. But it says Christ is the end of the law. For everyone who believes. What the law says, it says to them that are under the law. So if the law says to you, bring first fruit. It can only tell you to bring first fruit if you are under the law. 
Hey, Romans 11, 6, I think. Oh, I need a bigger pulpit, man. <laughs> Spread the Bible here. You know what I mean? Yeah. If by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Eh? But if it is of works, this one was not in Victoria's Bible, but it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. No matter how much you try, they will not mix. Kinetic crystallization is not possible between law and grace. Only the discerning understand what I just said. So whenever we read stuff, you filter. Because the Old Testament is packed full with types and shadows of Christ. Does that make sense? The nature of Christ, for instance, hasn't changed. But when, when God is saying, I will wipe out your enemies from up under you, when you're reading First Samuel or First Kings, Father, you wipe out. No, no, no. He's not wiping out. Because now he wishes for nobody to perish. So the cross has changed the viewpoint on that. But the nature of God has not changed. (laughs) Do you understand? So we can read Isaiah and see the majesty of God. It hasn't changed. Mountains are still quaking at his presence. Are we, are we making sense? Yeah. It hasn't changed. But you come down and scatter and strike everybody with blindness. Da, 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 da. He has not changed. However, if I am in the village and a native doctor comes down to try me, I will do him something. Because God is still there to defend me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we carry power. In that place, we can operate in the apostolic. Do you understand? And the apostolic means you want to come and you, you're not coming to repent. You're coming to want to try me. Eh? There's a hedge of fire around my room. Come and enter. I, I still carry that power. You still carry that power. But you can use it to kill your enemy. For them to fall down or sleep or stand up and die. So the nature of God hasn't changed. The power of God hasn't diminished. Do we understand? But just as our works are not what are required to activate his grace, the Bible says that the wrath of man does not work out the righteousness of God. So God doesn't need your wrath for his judgment either. This is part of what we talk about in Old Covenant and New Covenant. This is just giving you a, a, a little taster. So honor God with your heart, with your body, Romans 12, 1, 1 Corinthians 16, 6, 18 to 20. The body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, in whom he also dwells. Honor God with your heart, with your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. With your worship, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, especially in the Amplified. Beautiful, beautiful in the Amplified. Ecclesiastes 12, 13.
all has been heard, the end of the matter is, fear God, revere and worship him knowing that he is. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of his creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. We honor God with our worship. We honor God with our devotion. Romans 14, 8. Somebody read that. And I'm not just preaching. I'm teaching you lifestyle. Kingdom cultured. Can somebody say kingdom cultured? So that you take practically and it changes your life, changes your behavior, changes your attitude. It's not a prayer point. It's something you take the knowledge you're receiving and begin to walk consciously in it. We honor God with your heart, with your body, with your worship, with your devotion. Romans 14, 8. Anyone? For where we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. That's beautiful, isn't it? We live to the Lord's, we die to the Lord. However, any which way we live to the Lord. So that's our devotion to God, right? We honor God with our service. Psalm 102 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Romans 12, 11. Somebody read that. Romans 12, 11. Psalm 100, and, uh, Psalm 100 verse 2, Romans 12, 11. Not slothful in business. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving. serving the Lord. The word serving is the same word used interchangeably in the Greek latrio, which means to wait on the Lord actively. Latrio. It's also used for worship in some, in some context of the New Testament. Serving the Lord is active. Waiting on the Lord. Actively ministering to the Lord. Remember in Acts it says that, that, that your, your scripture. And when they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Lord said, separate for me Paul and Barnabas. They ministered to the Lord. They served the Lord. David says to do it with gladness. Psalm 100 verse 2. And we serve the Lord, not slothfully. We also honor God with our time. Hmm. Our time. I remember when we started Word and Life, some people didn't understand how we could spend so much time in the Word. Here you are today on a Friday. And you don't realize how much you have grown. Because that time you were worried about being churched too much in a week. Now you realize you want to eat and you can't have enough. So the problem wasn't the time. The problem was what the time was being spent on. <laughs> can I be going to church three times a week? Can I be going to church four times a week? Now we can stay here 24 hours of every day. That's what the early church was. And there was no one poor among them. So it wasn't a time problem or a commitment problem. It was a substance problem. You're going to join church Six days a week, five days a week, and you're burnt out. It's not God you're serving. It's not God you're serving. You're so tired. You wake up and you think of church and you're like, ah, here we go. Pastor will call me and then they never appreciate any good you do. Yes. They only clamp down on you when you're late or absent. Ah. But it's a joy to serve the Lord with your time. Mm. When you see. 
that he's worthy of it. You see that it's part of the honor code. That's why I have a phobia for showing up late. It's part of the honor code. I have a phobia. Some of you have meetings with me, you're five minutes late, you know, right? You know. You just, just go. I'd rather watch TV. Just chill. Know that I'm spending my time as I will. Does that make sense? Not giving my time to your irresponsibility. Some people are just always, they can't afford to be always late. I got dressed though, I was ready. I was just waiting. Ultrasound folks know that if you're on time with me, you're late. If you're five to ten minutes early, you're on time. If you just manage to be on time, you are late. If you walk with me and you show up for more at six, you are late. You show up for water live at five thirty, you are late. If you are on time, you are early. Some of us just 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 want to just be on time. Me, let me just go and just receive the word. Let me just go and be. Let me just go and be blessed. After all, I don't miss much. When the Lord is saying, it's when Pav is saying, can you hear yourself? <laughs> what, what is the Lord saying? No, it's not, it's not, it's just people now talking. Pastor is not saying teaching. Pastor will start teaching around that can six. You know, 6.15. So if I arrive before pastor start teaching, I'm okay. You have brought the same religious bigotry spirit you ran away from. So you don't realize the problem is not your former church, it's you. You were the problem in your former church. Yes. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Yes. A lot of times we're running away. But it means that we were fine until you joined us. Yes. Which means in your former church, you were the problem. Yes. You have not brought the problem in here. And in this church, we will cast you and the problem out. I will tell you privately. I will tell you again. I cannot pastor you. I will not come and tell the whole house. I am not the pastor of this one. It's in scripture. Hello. Yes. Don't, don't be the first. I will tell you I can't pastor you. Because you, that's how cancer spreads. It's one little cell. We honor God with our time. It's worth our time. It's honor code. There doesn't have to be something in it for you. That's the fraudulent mentality of Nigerian Christianity. With honor, there doesn't have to be something in it for you. Say, there must be something in it for me. It's the honor code. There mustn't be something in it for me. It is the honor code. There mustn't be something in it for me. It is the honor code. I am kingdom culture. Or else it's, 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 it's Beth Niger. That's what it is, isn't it? There's nothing to win. You don't play. No, but in the honor code, there mustn't be something in it for you. God had no guarantees when he gave you Christ. The odds were so slim when he saw you crucifying the person 
he gave you and choosing a criminal in his place. Flogging him, stoning him and asking for a criminal. Anini, if you, if you are old enough to remember. To be released. So we honor God with our heart, our body, our worship, our devotion, our service, our time. And very crucially, our substance. If we're not honoring Christ, we're not honoring God. If we're honoring God, then we're honoring Christ. With our substance. How are we doing? Second Corinthians 9. Actually, let's go from verse chapter 8. Second Corinthians 8. <laughs> Second Corinthians 8, I read from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he will also complete this grace of giving in you as well. But as you abound in everything, as you abound in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Tell your neighbor, see that you abound in this grace also. It's the honor code, isn't it? And then if you have a King James Bible... The next portion is titled Christ Our Pattern. Does anybody have that subtitle in their Bible? Just before verse 8. Christ Our Pattern. Remember I said he's our example. He's our honor code. Demystified. Now here the example Christ gives. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace. Which grace are we talking about here? Which grace are we talking about here? Not saving grace. Uh-huh. Do you understand? Grace as in charis, enablement. Yeah? In the Hebrew, in the, in the Greek. Okay? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you understand what grace is talked about there? What grace? The grace of giving. And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must also complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also might be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance, your abundance may supply their lack and their lack may also supply, your abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had left nothing over and he who gathered little had no lack. It goes on 
the whole of chapter 8 and chapter 9 talks about the grace of giving in specifically monetary terms. So we cannot honor Christ and honor God without giving of our substance. Can you say, I cannot honor God or honor Christ without selflessly giving up my substance? That's the honor code. And if we're kingdom cultured people, we honor God with our substance. Because where the treasure of a man is, there his heart also is. So in Matthew 5, I think it is, it says, I think in 20, 20 or 21, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor wrath can touch. So the believer, the New Testament believer, does not have or need to be manipulated to give. You need to understand that freely you have received, and so freely you give. You also need to understand that it's a code for the kingdom cultured person. If you give more when you were manipulated to give, you have not met Christ. If you give more when you were cajoled to give, if you give more when they said there are 98 people here, the first 98 people to stand up, I don't know if you have seen that before. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He will bring out what they call, it's a very silly thing. I don't do it. Biblical numerology. Three is the number of Trinity of God. Five is the number of grace. Seven is the number of, of completion, of perfection. Eight is the number of new beginning. Twelve is the number of the apostolic. Forty is the number, and we keep bringing witchcraft symbols into scripture. Yeah. We start to bring in stuff. And we are conjuring images in people's heads. And it's idolatry. Now some people who are very, very, who are experts in searching out what they believe is hidden in the Bible. Is what you're looking for, you find out. If you're looking for a binary code in the Bible, you will see you find it. You can add the verse and chapter of one book plus the verse and chapter of one book plus the date of birth of the author of a book and you will arrive at 666. What are you looking for, you find? If you're looking for millennium, you can add the numbers of books in the Bible multiplied by the verses in the Bible, divide it by Old and New Testament, you know, you would arrive at the number you're looking for. It's the truth. But Christ, scripture is not written in a manner that makes it difficult for the average believer to understand. So the first point of call for interpreting the scripture is the scripture itself. Are you following me? Scripture itself. So if you give an offering of grace, number five. Please, when he was on the cross, did we see number five on his, on his head? Or on the signboard that was on, his, on the top? No, this is who, who called himself king of the Jews. Then we conjure all these little things. Because God walked for six days and rested on the seventh day. The seventh day, the seventh day is completion. Or, or the day of, you know, so we now have seven days. 
Because the children of Israel were in, in the wilderness for 40 years, one, one year for every day. We're going to have 40 days fast. Because he was in the belly of the fish or in the earth for three days. We're also going to have three days marathon underground resurrection service. So if you notice, all this foolishness comes from ignorance. So you now come you come and give. And idolatry has crept into the church. Because we want to be manipulated, we want to be bamboozled. We want to be made to feel like you know what you had a part to play in what's going on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Tell you to give empty all your account and see what God will do for you in 24 hours. You do it. Even if I tell you that now, you do it. But we have been told to partake in the grace of giving as an honor code. Nah, why? I can afford to not give. Now, no believe right they give. It's not that God loves a cheerful giver. You not interpret it to mean I'm not cheerful, so why should I give? It's Christians. I saw a post, random post, I think it was on Facebook recently. They said to me, pay your taxes with a smile. When they came, I smiled and they said, no, we want cash. <laughs> Do you understand the joke? <laughs> pay your taxes. It's a smile. So when they came to collect taxes, I smiled and then they said, no, you know what's my, what cash? He said, pay with a smile. So they have interpreted it to mean use smile to pay tax. And this is where the church falls short. Paul, you see Paul chastising the Corinthian church that they were not participating in this grace. I was telling Antime the other day that and, and if you know me, you know I struggle to talk about giving. If you know me, I struggle. It sounds odd, it sounds but we cannot be responsible in practicing the honor code if you don't talk about these things and get it right. Do you understand? We will not. We're not waiting for you to do stuff by God's grace. But it's part of your cementing your honor of God, of Christ, and of the saints by participating in it. Does this make sense? It's part of the honor code. We give of our substance. So you never appear before the Lord empty-handed. That has not been taken away by the cross. That honor code exists. You've ministered to the saints. Even Paul was talking about, about uh, to Timothy about the widows that will be taken care of by the church. That they must be sure that they have ministered to the saints. That they wash the feet of the saints. The honor code. So every time you come before God's people, you think about the fact that you're giving your devotion. What can I do? How can I, because in doing that, you're doing that to God. How can I give? What is left to be done? How was that done? It's in honoring God that we do that. We'll pick up next, uh, next week, yeah? Tuesday. Yeah? We'll pick up Tuesday with honoring the saints. So I said there were three, that, three expressions, right? Yeah. Honoring God. And you do that with your heart, with your body, with your worship, with your devotion, with your service, with your time, 
and with your substance. On Tuesday, we'll pick up with honoring the saints, and then you'll see how you honor the saints in love, in humility, in service, in benevolence, in giving, and, and in husbands honoring their wives. And then you see how wife beaters do not know the honor code. Girlfriend harassers. There's how you would treat a daughter of God when you understand that you owe her a duty of honor. That's how you would talk to a lady, a girl, a woman. The honor code will inform and influence your communication. It will inform your communication. It will inform your interpersonal skills with people. You will talk to people differently. You will take your time to ensure that your intentions come across. And not assume that the other person should know what you're trying to say. It's the honor code. That's when this Christ's cross thing is becoming real. Does that make sense? That's when your life is tangibly beginning to align with the realities of the cross. Tangibly. When you want to talk and you will swallow the words, you will cook it again in honor. And then you will dish it in honor. And in, in honor in such a way that the other person will know unequivocally that you will honor them in your speech. You talk with someone and they leave feeling like a star. Not feeling all beat down. Feeling like, ah, oh, I need pastor to now pump my, pump, pump my tire. If you talk with someone and the person leaves more deflated than they met you, you have dishonored them. And in dishonoring them, you have dishonored God and Christ. That's what being a Christ chen means. Do you understand? That's what being a Christian means. Because Jesus had, hey, he had time for everyone. Even the little children loved the dude. He said, so fat them to come to me. It was the honor code. Meanwhile, Peter, the zealot, was trying to beat the children away from him. Block them. That's why if you go and check your church's children are not growing in the Lord. We just put them in one department and leave them there. They're empty. And then the teenagers will give them rappers and dancers. And you act, you will dance, you will do, you will do rap, you will do spoken word. You are not, you are empty in the world. Go and check your teenagers. You, some of you are ex-teenagers recently. Meanwhile, you have been in church all your life. Kept busy. And effectively dishonored. So the church has a large budget, but none of it is for teenage conference. Talk to me now. None of it is for youth program. You will tax yourself, you will go and beg, you will print envelope, you will speak to your parents, you will beg everybody to raise the budget. You know, somebody will... Who am I talking about? No, the church doesn't care. In the same program, you will spend millions to bring guest preachers. Come and bless the body. Occupy the children. No, just keep them away now. They're making noise. But Jesus had time for them. Train up a child in the way that he should grow. And when he grows, he will not depart from it. Teach them from their childhood to put a premium on the word. 
From childhood. It's not from when they are 13 or 14. It's when they are little. Teach them how to sit down. Even if they don't know what I'm saying, let them know that I'm saying. That's how we grew. That's the honor code. And this is where culture begins to become kingdom. Do you understand where we're going with this? So we're a whole different breed. Without greed. So add the rhymes a little bit more. A people whom Christ is their creed. We're a new breed. A kingdom cultured people. This is what makes us Christians. So that nonsense we're doing. Speaking in tongues. Rah, 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 rah. Who is he edifying? Make loudspeakers make noise. That, that, that I've told you by the time we eventually pay for this place. We have not paid for this place because you people have not mastered the honor code. Full stop. Full stop. Because if you master the honor code, you will shut down your life and secure that place. The room is quiet. If you understand the honor code, if you have something that can be put on the line because your pastor put his own on the line, you put it on the line. And he will not have dragged as long as it has dragged. But the word came on that Friday that God is trying to prepare us. But is the, the place is ready. It's you that's not ready. If, remember the word? Yeah. You're not ready. What is one million? One point two million in this house? To come out if you understand the honor code. If someone used to go and carry blocks for one week. We did it now. Don't think because I don't have tough fingers. We didn't do things. We have done things. I've done things. It wasn't difficult for me to let the fault go because I've done that many times in my life. What is it that is dispensable? Put it on the line. And then when God honors me, you want to talk. The thunder that will fire you is Oando that is sponsoring it. Exomobile, eh? yeah, total. They are generating it. <laughs> so God begins to open doors, and so many things that were crazy. So when you understand the honor code, understand how it applies to God, and then how it applies to the saints, and thirdly, how it applies to spiritual authority. Then you are a rounded Christian. There are some things you will never utter out of your mouth again. Some people you will never struggle to forgive again. Some people you will never strive to hurt again. You will not have to wait for the sun to go down. <laughs> On your anger. You, would, you won't you would even let it get there. Because the kingdom revolves around the code of what? Honor. Can we say honor? honor? The kingdom revolves around the code of honor. You won't talk to anybody anyhow. Let no vain speech proceed out of your mouth. Only words that edified, seasoned with salt. It doesn't mean like that Ghanaian prophet said, to go and carry local salt and put it in your mouth, to season your mouth. But it's speaking allegorically. Does that make sense? 
Let what, let, what, let what proceeds out of your mouth be tasty, edible. It is all part of the honor code. You will be the one to say, please, I have an offering. Can somebody take it? Are you following me? Are you following me? Can somebody take my offering? You consciously plan your time around ministry. You plan your giving. around. You plan judiciously your devotion to God. Your attention to his word. And it's as simple as drawing certain boundaries for yourself. Does that make sense? It's just boundaries. Is this helping anybody practically? Oh, no, course. So part two is down. We'll probably have two more parts. Tuesday we'll do one more and hopefully the following week. <laughs> no, so let's let, fly, let's let Sunday slide for this Sunday. All right, let's do Tuesday. All right, and then see how, see, how, see how Tuesday goes for Friday. Is that all right? Exciting stuff, right? Please put it to practice. Please, start now. All right, treat people with honor. Treat God with honor. Treat giving with honor. Treat prayer with honor. Treat speaking the word with honor. You know that's how you can preach to an unbeliever that they will know you honor them. Sometimes you speak from, 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 from spite. Like we are above them. Like man, who are you? Let us see that stuff is changing. These things are not a process. They are a decision that comes from information. Do you understand? So you can change right now. Right now. It's a decision. It's not a process. You know, I'm, I'm working towards it. You know, no. It's a decision. Make a decision to employ the information you have received and you have changed. It is information that brings change, not process. Process only plays it out. Process only plays out what information has activated. It's information that brings change. I could not do this. Now I can. Because now I know. That's change. Transformation. Metamorphomai. From where you get metamorphosis. Father, we are an honor code people. We have come into the understanding that as part of being kingdom cultured, we unpack and activate the honor code. As you honored Christ, as Christ honored you, as Christ honored his disciples, as his disciples honored him, as he advocated that we honor God and honor him. We also come and we apply that in our honor of you, in our honor of Christ, and subsequently in our honor of one another and of those who have set in spiritual authority over us. We know that in doing this, we encapsulate the beauty of the finished work of Christ practically in our lives. And we thank you that on account of that, we are changed, we are transformed, we are moved to another level of glory, another level of operations in our work with you. And we thank you and give you praise. In Jesus' name. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.